So how many of you are a part of some sort of community, someplace, somewhere, maybe a neighborhood, a school, a family, um, a workplace, whatever it is, where if something happens, word travels fast? Anyone? Set free, brothers. If there's something going on, it's set free. Does anyone find out about it in a couple minutes? Doesn't take long, right? Sometimes in church, that's the same experience. If something's going on, something big, you know, then, then word travels fast about what's going on. Uh, certainly in, in schools, right? If like one of the big couples breaks up or has a fight, then, then like if it happens in the morning, then by noon, everyone knows about it. And since it's like junior high or high school, then by three o'clock, they're back together again because that's the way it works. Um, you know, we're all sort of, we live into that world, and especially now, where with things like social media and sort of instant communication via internet and, and other sources of media, that if something's going on, it doesn't take, especially if it's, well, we'll just use the word juicy, right? If it's juicy, something that catches our interest, then it doesn't take long for it to move through a whole big group of people, you know, whether it be through a whisper or through a text message or through a, a Facebook post. In fact, there's some of you that really like the Juicy Mill and you do like Facebook Live and Instagram Live because it's, you're eating this sandwich and we need to know right now. Like, thank you for sharing that with us. We really appreciate that, how, how fast that word travels. In our text this morning from Mark chapter 7, we're in a place where word has traveled and it's traveled fast. Because where Jesus is now, remember we've been talking a little bit throughout this gospel of Mark about geography and where Jesus is at different times and how the difference in where he is geographically speaks to some of the message and the experience of that particular text. Jesus has moved in this text from the region of Galilee, which is the Sea of Galilee, an area, figure, you know, the, the length and the breadth of where Jesus was traveling when he was in the Galilee is probably maybe about 20 to 25 miles, you know, if you were to draw 25 mile, um, uh, cir- uh, uh, what am I thinking of, diameter circle, and somewhere in that 25 miles where Jesus was, he's out of that now, because he's gone to the region of Tyre and Sidon. I'm going to try to help you understand a little bit where that is. Tyre and Sidon. So this is the Mediterranean Ocean. For some of you who know your geography. Mediterranean Ocean. And over here, this is Israel. Over here is the Sea of Galilee. It's inland, about maybe 50, 40 or 50 miles. The region of Tyre and Sidon is actually right on the coast of the Mediterranean. These are port cities, port areas. Jesus has gone that journey of about 30 to 50 miles And he's gone into this region, and this region is different than the people and the groups that were in the region of the Galilee. Let's begin to dig in, and I'll help you understand a little bit more. Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. Jesus left that place, the Galilee area, and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he couldn't keep his presence secret. See, word has traveled fast. He was 30 to 50 miles away in Galilee. And yet, here in this place, which 30 to 50 miles, 30 to 50 miles for most of us, that's a half an hour to an hour in a car. For these people, that's a few days journey at the least, depending on how you traveled and who you're traveling with. 
And even though there's that journey of several days, at least some significant time, they already have heard the stories about Jesus here because it's juicy. This guy has power. This guy is healed. People have been bleeding. People, uh, one girl was dead. A man was possessed. And here, here he comes. And because he's here, we want a piece of him. We want to, want to hear him. We want to be close to him. We want to find out what he has to say. Because remember, he's teaching with authority and he's exhibiting his power. And these people long for that too, just like everyone else. But what's interesting about this region of Tyre and Sidon, what I said before, it's a port city, port city area. It's right on the ocean. And if you know anything about ports, cities, water was the great interstate of this day. If you wanted to do significant travel, you traveled on water. Because traveling by walking, you weren't traveling that fast and you were hindered often by geographical hills, mountains, all those other sorts of things. It, was, it can be dangerous. It could be dangerous in the water too and there were other travails in the water. But you could move greater distances and you could move much more stuff. So shipping and trade and all that other sort of stuff. So when you're in a port city and there's trade and there's travel going on, what do you get? You get a mix of people. So it's not just people who are from Tyre and Sidon. It's also people who have started to do trade or maybe they got on a boat, came to Tyre and Sidon and never left. Or maybe they're agents or people from other cultures who are there doing other businesses. And so you have a mix both of Jews and, and Greeks and Egyptians and, and Romans even and Syrian Phoenicians. And that's who this woman was. Let's find out a little bit more about her, 25 and 26. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a, a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. And she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now, Syrian Phoenicia isn't far from Tyre and Sidon in the region of Tyre, but it's far enough. In the same way that Galilee was about 30 to 50 miles due east of Tyre and Sidon, Syrian Phoenicia was 30 to 50 miles, but it was northeast. And this is also a different region. She comes from there. So she's, in a sense, a transplant. She's an immigrant to this region. And what happens, and we know that, you know, that, that if you're from a region and you live in that region, then there can be certain attitudes that you have or that attitudes that others can have about sort of the native born, right? I mean, we have that here in Redlands. If you're a native born of Redlands, for some people, that matters. Like, it's really important. Like, there's a little bit of this that can go on, right? A little bit of snobby, a little bit of snobbishness. Yeah, you know, something good about having lived in Redlands all your life. And, and God bless you. There's some of you who may feel that. There's some of you others who really couldn't care. Um, whatever. But, but there's an attitude about being from a region and have always been from the region. And an attitude then towards others who come in. This is a woman who's come in. And because she's come in, she's also had the experience of, of, of being, you know, sort of pushed aside. You don't have a space. 
You don't have the same sort of, we don't have the same sort of attitude that we do towards those people who are from here. So there's some challenges for this woman. And the biggest challenge of all, of course, is her daughter. We don't know a lot. We know that she was possessed by what? An impure spirit. But we don't know what that means. Now, we know elsewhere in the text, if you remember, in the Decapolis, Jesus healed the man in the graves who was um, demon-possessed. You remember what happened there? He was violent. He was strong. He would cut himself. There was stuff going on that his impure spirit did to him. We don't know what happens with this young girl or girl. We don't even really know how old she is. But we know that there's obviously something And it's something that has caused pain and harm for the girl herself, but as you can well imagine, also for her mom. Those of you who've gone through mental illness and someone in your family, maybe even yourself, you know that experience of caring for somebody who it feels like you can't help. You know what it's like to go through that pain of watching somebody who's in pain themselves, hurt themselves or hurt others around them, and it just seems like nothing gets through. And you love that person, but you feel powerless. That's the woman that we're talking about in the text. She is powerless, feels that powerlessness. And so when she's heard the news, when word has traveled that here's Jesus and he's actually an expert in dealing with unclean spirits, you can imagine this woman is like, I, I want some of that. I, 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 I need some of his time. I need some of his power. I need some of his space. And so she's bold. Remember, she doesn't have a place. A, she's a woman, patriarchal culture. B, she's a transplant. She doesn't have the space. And C, she's not Jewish. She's Greek. But she's bold. She goes up to him. She says, please, please heal my daughter. Now, we see boldness actually had power. But for us to think about what in our lives, maybe we need to want to be bold about. How do we feel about boldness? And what's interesting is that I know that there are some in this place who know all about boldness. You know about boldness because you maybe for yourself or for a loved one have gone through some sort of illness. Lord, please come heal. Please come save. Please come fix. And that's your prayer over and over and over again. Please, Lord, save this situation. There are some of you who are here who have children or maybe even grandchildren, loved ones, brothers, sisters, a spouse, or maybe somebody else in your life who there is something, there is a brokenness, there is pain there. And you have prayed the same prayer, longed the same longing, hoped the same hope over and over again. And you've pounded on the doors of heaven saying, God, please come fix, transform. But there's some of us who maybe don't have that boldness because, well, it's impossible, right? Something's impossible. Something's impossible and it's too big. I'm not going to bother God with that. 
Let me name some things. Peace in our world. Are we bold as we pray as God's people for peace in our world? Do we believe, do you believe that God can make peace come? Do you believe that? Are we bold to pray that prayer every single day that God come bring peace? Are we? And do we really perhaps have the faith and belief that he can do it? How many of you believe we need reconciliation in our world? You could name it politically, gender-wise, race-wise, that we need reconciliation. And how many of you believe that God can do that? Right? Do we pray it? Are we bold? Are we continuously hammering on the gates of heaven, asking God, come, please, come, make new, come, fix, come, redeem, come, reconcile. The truth is, we can say we believe that God can do these things, but are we living into that boldness? Or instead, do we need to rethink maybe what is our prayers? What, what is our courage? What is our perseverance in praying those things? And it can be big like that, but it can also be small. Some of you are in marriages in crisis. Some of you are in places where your workplace is a war zone. Or maybe your business is a shambles. Or maybe you're just hurting and you wonder, can this ever be fixed? For us in all those places to have boldness and perseverance before God Because as we interact with God in that boldness, something happens. Let's continue to read verse 27 and see how God interacts with this in Jesus Christ. This is an interesting phrase that we get here. Jesus' response to this woman begging Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, how many of you at first reading think, I didn't know Jesus was so rude? Anyone? I mean, doesn't it seem somewhat like a rude statement? He just called the woman a dog. Right? Did he not? That's what he did. So we think, you know, here Jesus is being rude, but there's actually some stuff going on here that helps us understand why Jesus said what he said. First of all, why a dog? Because not only in the Old Testament, it happens a couple times, not very much, but in Jewish tradition, to call somebody a dog wasn't that insult of their smelly and hairy and scratch themselves. That's not it. Instead, it's this image of a dog being an unlearned person of the law of God. So if you called somebody a dog, you simply were saying they don't know the God of the Old Testament. They don't know the the Jewish God or the Jewish law. So when Jesus was calling this woman a dog, he was actually naming her for what she was, unlearned about who he was. There's no way that she could have known that he was the Jewish Messiah. Why? Because the Messiah comes from the law of God. All the learning about the Old Testament, all the learning about who God is in engaging with his people, that that helps you understand Jesus. She was just looking for power. So in that sense, she was a dog. 
So, so in Jesus calling her a dog, he wasn't trying to be rude. He was simply naming her as somebody who didn't know who he really was. He's also saying another thing. He's saying who his people are. He's saying, my children are the ones that I have come for. The others, the dogs, will get in due time. His children are the Jews. Jesus is saying, I have come for the Jewish people. You're not Jewish. Your time will come, but it is not now. You will have to be patient. He's saying he loves his family. He loves his children. And he has come in order to redeem and work and reconcile and love his children. Now, yeah, that's, it's, we're in a different time now, right? You are children of God. We name that. We're part of the family of God. We name that. And if you are part of God's family, Christ has come for you. And he's come to make himself known to you. And he has come to redeem and to love you. Christ is making a powerful statement here about what he will do for those who are in his family. But the woman's having none of it. Verse 28, here's what she says. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table get the children's crumbs. Now, Maybe you've met a person like this. Maybe you teachers or you coaches or, or, or you, you folk, I'm sure you've, you've all experienced this. That person who doesn't take no for an answer, right? That person who, you know, they, they, they can irritate you. They can even frustrate you. I remember having that, um, uh, well, I have that a lot in different places, in different spaces, where there are the sort of people who you say no to them, and it seems like you say no to them 50, 60, 70 times, and they still come up with the same thing. But, 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 that's this woman. She is persistent. And she says, she's, she makes the statement, it's an interesting statement, because it has a couple things to it. First of all, it is bold. Because she's talking back to Jesus. I mean, think about that. Jesus, and the great teacher himself gives her an answer, and she says, yeah, but that ain't enough. And she goes back. But she also does something interesting. She acknowledges her dogness. Do you notice that? She doesn't tell Jesus that she's anything but a dog. She says, even dogs get crumbs. She's basically saying, yep, that's who I am, Jesus, but it doesn't matter. I'm still going to ask because you are what I need. Remember who, why she's here. She's here because of her daughter. She's here because of this pain. She's here because she has no other choice. She has here, she's here because she has a longing to see this thing which is so broken be redeemed. And this guy is her access. So she's going to be humble and she's going to be bold and she's going to simply say, okay, don't give me the whole thing. Just give me a little bit. Just give me a little of you. Just give me a touch. Give me a crumb. Give me a crumb of Jesus. Please, Lord, give me a crumb. I know I'm not worthy. I know I don't have a place. I know that I don't have space here to claim it based on right. 
but I will be that dog. You have that dog? Like you're eating and it's right here, right? It's right here. Little nudge, I'm here. Little wet nose right in your, right, right in your feet or wherever. I'm here. She is that and says, just a little bit, just a bit, just, just a crumb. What courage, what boldness, what humility. Just a crumb would be enough. And of course, we see what happens, verse 29. And then he told her, for such a reply. Like, Jesus is basically affirming, all right, you're going to keep pushing. You're going to keep challenging me. You're going to keep going after it. All right. For such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home, found her child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. There's a couple things. First of all, Jesus heard when he says in his his words, he says, for such a reply. He was hearing something beyond that boldness and beyond that humility. He was hearing her heart. He was hearing that you have faith. You're asking for a crumb because you're saying a crumb will be enough. He's hearing the heart of this woman who longs for something to be restored. And because he hears her heart, he gives her his power. And we learn something about his power. See, before what we had in the healing of the woman who was bleeding, right? How'd the healing come? It came through touch. We hear the, the, the resurrection of Jairus' daughter that comes through words, get up. We, we, we see the interaction of the other man in the unclean spirit. It's a power that transmits through words. But here, it's like Jesus is a healing sniper. He doesn't even need to be in the same space. He doesn't even need to be in the same zip code. All he does is he speaks because that's the power of the God that we serve and even a crumb changes lives. Think about that moment. Think about the moment that the woman leaves the house where Jesus is. She walks home. And every day for years, she's come home and she's seen her daughter on the bed, maybe just laying there moaning, maybe shaking maybe yelling, maybe violent, maybe whatever. You can picture it any way you'd like. But today she comes home and she's just there. She's healed. She's she's made new. Now this woman has been living with years for this reality, this broken reality, and suddenly now it's made new. We sang a song just before the message, and it obviously moved many of you. Shout it. Go on and scream it from the mountains. That's that woman in that moment. Can you imagine coming in and seeing the impossible done, the longing of your heart made whole? You can imagine the embrace that this woman had holding her daughter close. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're healed. 
But I imagine that she didn't want to stay there long. I imagine she maybe got back to the house and maybe there was no space there for her because there were too many people there. Maybe she could just from a distance say, thank you. Thank you for making it whole again. Thank you you for making my life and my daughter's life new. Thank you. Shouting the glory of God. Why? Because she got a crumb. Crumb of the power of Jesus. That's what the power of Jesus is. When we stand in boldness and faith and humility and are willing to persevere in banging on the doors of heaven, even though we may not get the reply initially that we long for, that we continue to persevere in the same way that this woman did. She didn't take the no of Jesus sitting down. She said, Lord, I know your love. And I have faith that you are the healer. You've said you are the healer. You can do this. And I'm going to ask, and I'm going to ask again. And I'm going to ask even though it's bold, and even though I don't have a place, but I know who you are, God. You are a God of love, God of healing, God of grace. Friends, for us to learn, And we can live in that. And the first step for those of you who don't even know that Jesus is to come with that boldness. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe it's a mess. And you think, I've been living in this for years and it doesn't seem to ever change. A crumb of Jesus can do the impossible if we but trust and ask boldly for him to do his work. Come. After the service, there'll be a couple of us up here. We'd love to talk to you, ask a couple elders to come forward here. If you want that Jesus, if you want to bang on the doors of heaven, come redeem, give me a crumb because a crumb is enough. If you want that, come, we'll pray with you. It's in that space of accepting Christ for the first time. We'll have that conversation. If it's in another place, if you just need prayer, support, love, encouragement, you want, you want someone to be bold with you and asking for prayer, let's do that together. Because friends, the crumb of Jesus changes the world. Let's pray. Hope of the world, Jesus Christ, one who with A second of power can make everything new. We come before you, Lord, seeking boldness, seeking courage, seeking comfort, seeking encouragement. I know there are people here, Lord, who have asked that prayer, said that same thing a hundred times, thousand times, maybe 10,000 times. But Lord, you call us to be bold and you call us to be persevering in our prayer. I think of Ephesians where in the armor of God you remind us always come with all kinds of prayers and requests. Lord, we come before you today with that prayer, with that request yet again. We come in boldness, learning from this woman. Hear our hearts. We long for the same things you do. We hope for the things that you want for your kingdom, for your creation, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you come with one crumb and redeem what is broken. Make us whole again. Give us that story of the woman and her daughter 
so that we can, along with her, shout it from the mountains, scream it to the masses, that you are God. Lord, that's work that you and you alone can do in us. We do it. We ask that you do it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.